Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today we'll be exploring cellular consciousness. My guest is biophysicist Dr. Joyce Hawks, who is the author of Cell Level Healing, The Bridge from Soul to Cell. She has also written Resonance, Nine Practices for Health and Vitality. Welcome, Joyce. Thank you. Delight to be here. It's a pleasure to be with you. you. You you've spent many, many years looking at cells, studying cells under the electron microscope. Yeah. And you're also engaged in the healing practice. Yes, both. And that work as a scientist with cells is very impactful in the work of doing psychic healing, expanded consciousness for supporting a level of healing that um, touches both spirit, consciousness, emotions, and body. Early on, after I'd been called to the healing work and left the lab, I decided, I was crabby, actually, for a while, going, why did I have to go through all the hard work and all those studies? I really enjoyed it, but yeah, why all of that if my calling in life was to be a healing facilitator for people? Wow! (laughs) And I'm sitting in the hot sand in Bali with a master healer that I was studying with, and all of a sudden what dropped in was, your job is to put cell biology, and spirit together. I went, oh, really? Okay, let's see how that works. So like the title of the first book, the subtitle, The Bridge from Soul to Cell, that happened uh, on the hot sand in Bali. Mm. And being able to say <laughs> healing reaches us physically at the cellular level, that's the part of the body that can do the work. It's like, oh, fix my heart. Well, that doesn't, that's not as effective. What is going on in the nerves to the heart, in the fibers of the heart tissue, in the subcellular parts like mitochondria? Are there enough in there giving the heart the energy it needs to work or any other place? In our human bodies, we have, if you're six feet tall, the latest estimate is a hundred trillion cells. A hundred trillion. That's a very big number. It's enormous. Mm-hmm. You know, so we don't go counting one cell at a time in this work. That's for sure. <laughs> We'd be there for many lifetimes. And in a human, there's 200 distinctly different kinds of cells, all that develop from that initial egg-sperm connection and the divisions that begin to happen. So as... We're developing in our mama's womb the um, cells that are formed as they're differentiating into our nerves, into our eye cells, into our pancreatic cells, and all the different levels in any of these organs are fascinating. Mm-hmm. And then there's basic structures in every single cell. And, and each human being started out as a single cell. As one single cell. 
like every mouse, rat, um, alligator, um, <laughs> frog, eagle, mosquito, mosquito, all of us. Uh-huh. And that's another amazing thing. As I was studying fish cells, and I had by seeing them actually and taking pictures of them myself with the electron microscope, but I'd also studied images in books and research and so on mm-hmm. from mice and rats and other animals. No. We're not that different. We're all one. Our cells are very similar. There are very few things that are different about a fish, any fish cell, from what's in a human. And I would imagine our, our DNA is actually probably more than 90% similar with fish. Oh, well, I don't know how 90% is possible. I don't know uh, the I've exact heard we're 90% similar to wheat. To wheat. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also read that... Um, Thirty percent of our DNA is exactly the same as a banana. I mean, it's like hello. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the reasons I'm very interested in having this conversation with you. Some of our viewers will know I did an earlier monologue in which I was speculating about God and how uh, some people describe God in many theologies. God is omniscient. That would mean that God, in in effect, is the consciousness of every sentient being in the universe. Mm-hmm. And I began to think, what would that be like? What would it be like to be conscious of simultaneously of every sentient being? And, wow. and then it dawned on me, well, it's maybe not so different from being a human. I have, as you say, a hundred trillion cells in my body. What if I were to be conscious of even one of those cells? Mm-hmm. What would that be like? Mm-hmm. And we can listen to ourselves. And that's part of where meditation can go that connects with the material world mm-hmm. in that deep space. It's almost that you can hear the cells or feel them or get information from them. And some people have experienced that going, oh, um, I need healing at a certain level in my body. There's something wrong there. Mm-hmm. We tend to ignore that. I've worked with many people who said, you know, I've had some kind of hint about this for a long time, but I never paid attention to it. And then I got a scan and, oh my goodness, I'm in trouble. I've got this cancer. I've got this problem or whatever. It's, uh, it's amazing the level of awareness, again, of the expanded consciousness of the information that we can get as a human with all of these trillions of parts of us Mm -hmm. and then it's not only just that many cells but inside each cell there's hundreds and hundreds of mitochondria performing all of the power for the cell there's enough dna in every cell that if you strung it out of that molecule, it would go all the way around the earth. In every and single half. cell. Every single cell in the human, except our red blood cells. Mm-hmm. Our red blood cells, the nucleus spits out before it comes out of our bone marrow. Mm. But all the others have a full complement of our DNA. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned mitochondria. Right. And my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, is that 
at one time in the very earliest uh, evolution mm. of um, biological evolution, mitochondria didn't exist. It was like part of some sort of separate life form. And then they merged so that now all animal cells have mitochondria in them. But it wasn't always the case. That's true. And it's a very interesting idea and pretty well proven now. They don't know exactly where they came from, but they were some kind of other little organism. And part of that that is present in mitochondria right now is they have their own strand of DNA. So when the cell divides, the nucleus forms our chromosomes and divides. And there's, you know, equal number of mitochondria here and an equal in the new cell. Then the mitochondria in each of those daughter cells divides and makes new ones. It's not the nucleus of the cell or that DNA mm-hmm. that does it. It has its own mitochondria. I mean, its own, sorry, <laughs> uh, DNA. Uh-huh. So mitochondria are really amazing. There's also been recent publications in the journal Science, um, which is um, the... Um, Journal by the American Association. The flagship journal. Yes, for Mm -hmm. advancement of science. That there are diseases now that are being identified that by the time you get down to where they start, they start at the mitochondria. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty new within the last five, six, seven years, not in textbooks yet. So our mitochondria are really important. And often the healing work... um, is headed toward, guided toward, being able to give healing energy to our mitochondria. And and the mitochondria themselves are responsible for uh, generating the energy of the body. Exactly. Totally <laughs> responsible. There's maybe one or two other places where we get energy, but that is it. And what they do is they take a string of carbon atoms, like a glucose molecule with six carbon atoms, And there's an enzyme that can pull those two carbon atoms apart and capture the energy that was in that bond. And it's a special enzyme, adenosine diphosphate. And then when it captures the energy, it becomes adenosine triphosphate. And I imagine that it sits there and jiggles, but it holds that energy until a process is needed in the cell. So in humans... Part of that process is keeping us warm. How is it that we're warm? We're not cold all the time. There's something in us giving the energy of heat and then the energy to produce enzymes, to produce all of the other things in the body. Well, it's amazing when you think about it. Uh, I think what you said, we have 200 different types yes. of cells, 100 trillion cells altogether in, in the human body. Now, I'm not conscious of my individual cells, but they all seem to know how to function with each other. They do, and that's another amazing part of the magnificence, the miraculous magnificence of our bodies. If you unzipped your skin and looked inside, the stuff in us at an organ level and then at a cellular level, tissue level, uh, cellular level, is astonishing just astonishing. And that all of these cells are active in many ways all the time, even when we're asleep. When we're asleep, the healing happens. Old cells have a way 
They have enzymes which kill them. It's called apoptosis. All of a sudden, I'm old, I'm worn out, goodbye. And then there's other cells called macrophages, big eaters. They come and clean up what was left of the old cell, digest it in little vacuoles, and then those molecules are reused. We're an incredible recycling system. Mm -hmm. We are truly magnificently created Mm -hmm. inside and all of this is taking place, you could say it's at the subconscious level or yes. without conscious intention, at least. Right. Can you imagine trying to think of keeping every one of those hundred trillion cells working all the time? Or even, let's see, how many more red blood cells do I need? Go for it. Go for it in my, my femur, in my bone marrow. What would it do? I mean, mm-hmm. all this stuff is going on and we don't have to think about it. But as a healer yourself, or a healing facilitator, um, I like to call you a psychic healing facilitator. Go for it. <laughs> you are able to tune in. I think that's the word that you use. You're able to somehow listen to the body, to hear what it needs. Mm-hmm. Tune in in several ways, by listening, but also vision mm-hmm. sometimes comes for people doing this work, or a sense of knowing that is not dependent on either of uh, of hearing or vision, but all of those words are part of the awareness mm-hmm. uh, when we're called to help somebody as to what is it that's needed. And part of that is someone's own history and what they know and what their physician has told them. And we can go from there. But sometimes things are missed. And we, we don't know. And so then that expanded consciousness, that deeper sense of awareness and knowing. Mm-hmm. For example, um, a woman came to me. It was just a general healing session. I just want to feel better. I want more energy. Things are pretty fine. I don't have any real problem. And so she was on the treatment table. And as I began working um, for her, it was as if her abdomen opened and I saw a tumor right behind the uterus. It was small. It was maybe mm, a centimeter, half an inch, something like that. And... I, what I do when I see or intuit something like that is I wipe it out. It's like, okay, I don't want to just imagine this. I let it go and then come back and ask again, is this real? Show me. And there it was again. So at the end of the session, my commitment is always if I am shown anything, I will share it. So please, when I'm doing this work, spirit, healing, energy of the, of God. Don't show me something. I have to keep a secret. I need to be able to tell it. So I said to her, please go check this out. She did, and it was exactly the size I saw. It was exactly in the right place. She had surgery. It was cancerous. And it saved her from a very long journey because cancers growing in those locations don't give much indication of illness until They've expanded and metastasized all over the place, and then people die. So I've had many experiences of the vision opening up or the hearing opening up or the 
um, just knowing about stuff that um, has played out to be true, and mm-hmm. I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. Now, I, as a parapsychologist, might say, oh, you were clairvoyant. Yeah, <laughs> how about that? <laughs> right? But from your experience as a cell biologist, how do you interpret uh, that well, it's in that category, mm-hmm. the clairvoyant category, and and that word is a bit still. Um, it's a French word. It means clear seeing. <laughs> yeah, it means clear seeing. It's a great word, but as a scientist, it was one of those words that was like what. So I guess I've adapted a different little language of expanded consciousness. But clairvoyance is exactly right, mm-hmm. and I'm grateful when that drops in. It's a gift, and I'm not sure that it operates all the time for me, but when it does, I pay attention. Mm -hmm. And learning to pay attention is something that's more subtle than other things in our life. And so for, for our guests, for those watching, to be able to appreciate your own level of clairvoyance, of listening for guidance, of understanding and accepting something's coming in that I didn't think up that do I pay attention to this? Is it good? Is it not? Because I've had many, many clients talk to many people as I'm sure you have who go, Oh, I, I just forgot about that or I dismissed it and I should have heard it. It was important. You have written that basically every cell has four primary functions. Yes. Let's review those. Okay. <clears throat> so here's our round cell, or long. <laughs> Some cells are round, and many are not round, like yeah. nerve cells have long extensions, and they're beautifully shaped. But each of these cells have a nucleus in the middle, and that nucleus contains deoxyribonucleic acid DNA. Now, DNA is a spiral group of molecules. It has three base pairs that connect with each other, and those three base pairs are a gene. And so one gene that controls the shape of your ear, how many fingers you have, the color of your hair, all of those things is contained in one little tiny thing that has three base pairs. Genes are very small can't even see them with an electron microscope. They're beyond what the microscope can see. They're so tiny. That is tiny. It's very tiny. So that DNA, we we know about chromosomes when they all come together and divide, and you can see the chromosomes. But, now, I have to interrupt if yes, you don't please. mind. Because I have seen electron microscopic photographs, sometimes of single atoms. In fact, IBM arranged a, a bunch of uh, atoms of some sort, xenon or something, xenon atoms, to form the letters IBM and took a photo with an electron oh, really? microscope. Oh, how interesting. Yeah. So there are large and small atoms, and the uh, uh-huh. carbon atoms are, tend to be a little bit smaller. I see. So uh, I haven't seen them with the microscope. Oh, okay. But, it, but your microscopes, you probably didn't have them up to all the power that... No. We didn't. That's true. That's true. I think you told me you can get up to a million times a million magnification, times. but yeah. that might not be enough for many things. For all- many things, actually, mm-hmm. that have been discovered and published. And yeah. this keeps unfolding. It's yeah. kind of fun 
watching how science gets new tools and new yeah. aspect, and oh, there's new information. Isn't that exciting? I know. Just to be technical, uh, if I understand it correctly, quantum physicists talk about the Planck length, the smallest length, the quantum length, and yes. that's I think ten to the minus thirty-three it's centimeters. It's way, 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 way smaller than. Yes. Uh, a million times magnification could exactly. get to. And yet we're impacted by it. Mm-hmm. It's part of <clears throat> of the feeling and the resonance that we're involved with. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. So anyway, back to the nucleus with its DNA. Now the nucleus is getting information from the cell somehow, and it's producing another molecule called RNA, ribonucleic acid, that then squeezes out of a little pore on the edge of the nucleus and goes out into the cytoplasm, into the stuff inside the cell, and it essentially tells the cell what is needed. So that RNA touches one of the four parts called the endoplasmic reticulum, and there's a ribosome there, and those connect up, and they go, okay, this amino acid fits here, and this nitrogen molecule fits there, and it makes... An enzyme, it makes a, a fiber of muscle, it makes whatever that cell needs. In other words, each cell is like a chemical factory. It is. It's producing proteins and enzymes, and, uh, and each cell seems to know exactly what's required for it. It does. That's part of the wow. The intelligence embodied yes. in, in a single cell is, yeah, single is cell. probably vast. If, if I'm going to guess we don't even have computers large enough to hold all that intelligence. <laughs> That's so true. That's so true. So there's the information in the cell, the, in the nucleus, and then there's the action of the cell. They're connected. And when enough of that protein is made, that's being made, there's a new a structure that was published, I don't know, less than 10 years ago. It's called scissor RNA. It's a molecule that comes up and clips off the RNA that's coming from the nucleus to the ribosome and telling it to make that protein. It says, okay, that's enough. Clips it off and it's done. How do you define ribosome? What is that exactly? Ribosome is a little dot that you see with the electron microscope that is very involved with um, as a location with the with the uh, production of enzymes. I see. That's the, where the f- chemical factory really is in the Bingo. ribosome. Yeah, not right in there. the cytoplasm. No, that's right. And that is <clears throat> the ribosome sits on the endoplasmic reticulum. So in the microscope, you'll see a long membrane, and then these little dots on it. That's the ribosome. Mm-hmm. So then, what powers the cell? The power aspect of the mitochondria we talked about briefly, and they're very highly structured, and they have enzymes for the Krebs cycle that pull the carbon atoms apart, capture the energy, and give the cell all of the energy that it needs to do this work. The, the Krebs cycle, I studied that as an undergraduate in, in zoology class, but that it's a well-understood chemical cycle that produces energy for the body. Yes. Yeah. And the fourth part, and there are other parts of the cell. There's lysosomes that collect um, stuff that needs to be recycled and toxins, and lysosomes recently have been discovered to 
have some control over whether fat is burned in our bodies or not. And that's been very recently published. Mm. Well, okay. A job that we didn't know before. Mm. And then there's a Golgi apparatus, and that's involved in some lipid molecules. But those are more detailed. But the fourth major part is the cell membrane Mm. itself. It's not a wall. A cell wall is in a plant, and that has certain layers of molecules that we don't have in, in as an animal, as a mammal, as a human. But the cell membrane itself has little projections out that touch other cells, and it can make nanotubes, which are teeny tiny, that go out and touch other places. And if you put a cell in tissue culture, the first thing it does is start sending out little nanotubes It's like, where am I? What's going on around here? Let me feel what's here. It's amazing. And then there are places on the surface of the cell that have receptor molecules that grab a hormone that's come through the bloodstream. Oh, and other proteins. And that's the way cells communicate throughout Mm -hmm. our entire body. So the toe actually is getting information from the pituitary gland. And the adrenal glands are producing stuff that other parts of the body get. So the complexity but interaction of all these cells is another one of the stunning parts of who we are. Well, the amazing thing to me is we have all these organs and tissues and cells. And if, if I want to, for example, raise my hand, I can do it. Just like that, it must take millions of individual cells interacting to to get it to happen, especially while I'm talking about it. Yes. And and yet it all seems to function in harmony. It knows what to do without me having to be conscious of any of it. Right. And probably even more than millions. It's probably billions because there's stuff going on in the brain and then transmission down and all the nerves, muscles, blood vessels, everything that do this, and we don't have to think about it. Mm -hmm. But now the interesting thing to me is if we choose to think about it, Uh, we can. Yes, we can. And we can receive information from our bodies, and we can send information to our bodies. That's the surprise, in a sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, so there's nerves doing this and that and whatever, but there's this level that's psychic, that's clairvoyant, that is expanded part of us that can reach parts of our body for good or for ill. For example, on the other side of the healing piece is what stress does to us. If we worry, 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 and we're very stressed out, there's a six-carbon ring that's produced, a series of them, and that the name for that particular molecule is their catecholamines. Kind of a funny word. But that's produced by our adrenal glands when we're really, really anxious. It takes 72 hours for other enzymes in the body to metabolize that out. Mm. And what does it do? It kills brain cells. It decreases the ability of our immune system. Mm. So we become vulnerable to bugs, to other things that the immune system, even cancer, mm-hmm. that what our immune system handles. And it reduces the ability of our digestive system to actually absorb nutrients. Mm -hmm. So a lot of stress is really tough on us. And in our culture, for many, go to work on Monday, 
Oh, that work was really stressful. 72 hours to get rid of that at a molecular level, but we go back to work on Tuesday and we're stressed again, so we're 72 more hours out from that. So even by the time the weekend comes, you haven't cleared it all by the time you go back to work on Monday. So people are suffering from chronic levels, I I would call it low levels of stress. It's not like a tiger jumping out of the bushes (laughs) at you, but but we're we're constantly being bombarded by... Stressors of, of various kinds, social stressors, environmental stressors. Yes. Uh, yeah. And what's what do we do about it? Well, sometimes we can go, okay, I'm not going to sit and worry about this. Say, you know, my, my son or my daughter is having a hard time. I'm just worried about them. Well, guidance showed me years ago when that happens, you imagine them four feet in front of you, you take spirals of light from the top of the head all the way down to the feet. It gives you something to do that blesses without imposing, you should do this. It's not like that at all. It's simply for their highest good. And I've done it with family members. I've taught it to a lot of people, and I've gotten feedback. I mean, like years ago when my dear daughter was challenged in her life and I would do this when I would think of her maybe by the next afternoon she might call me and she'd say you know mom yesterday I was having a really really hard day and about three o'clock in the afternoon all of a sudden everything just relaxed I'm going "Uh uh-huh well I'd written down that was the time I sent this Mm -hmm. so I know it works yeah so we can help each other with certain things to send energy that's peaceful we in other words through our thoughts Mm-hmm. Through the through the process of mental imagery, uh, imagination, and uh, uh, even words that we tell ourselves, we are able to influence the cellular activity not only of our own body but of other people. And of others, yes, we are. You do healing at a distance. I do. I have clients now um, that I work with via Skype so we can see each other and talk to each other or by the phone in Australia, in Belgium, in Poland, in South America, across Canada, and across mm-hmm. the United States. Yep. And the work reaches them instantly. We've tested it with EEG work, actually, because the brain responds. It's not that the brain is doing the work, but it responds to the work. Mm-hmm. And so we know that the instant it starts... The, it's received by somebody. Mm-hmm. I recently had a client in Florida at the end of the session. It was her first time for a session. She said, well, okay, now the, this uh, healing is going to reach me in about 24 hours, right? Like it's walking across the country. I said, <laughs> uh, no, it's there with you now, actually. And that's kind of a miracle. And, and in laboratory studies, when you're working with a healer and a healee in separate locations and you're yes. given an instruction to begin the healing at mm-hmm. a randomly chosen time mm-hmm. uh, by the researcher, mm-hmm. uh, at that moment when you start channeling, I suppose is the word for mm-hmm. healing energy, whether right. or not it's real energy, who knows? Who knows? Uh, some people say it's information, not energy. But in any yeah. case, at that moment, when you're engaging in focused conscious attention, mm-hmm. the EEG readings of the Healy respond. Respond. Instantly. And 
So we're talking about cellular activity of their neurons in their brain. Exactly. And then other places in their body. Because often they say, all of a sudden I felt all this heat. Or I felt really, really chilly and cold. If they're really chilly and cold, they're usually clearing something. Mm. Or someone who's put some... um information on them that's not good for them. We go, okay, just let the chill go and heat will come back. Or they'll feel things moving around inside of themselves. There are all kinds of interesting responses to this energy that goes thousands of miles sometimes from one to another Mm -hmm. that help each other. Mm -hmm. Well, that's quite amazing. It It it, is. It it suggests that you know, earlier I used the idea, the metaphor of me in relationship to the hundred trillion cells of my body is uh, somehow analogous to the relationship of actual God to all the sentient beings yes. in the universe. Although that might be a number far larger. That, that might include all of my cells, <laughs> <laughs> for all I know. But <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, in uh, Hindu philosophy, there's a wonderful statement where... The, the oneness, the divine says, I am one. Mm-hmm. Let me become many. And we think of how that relates to I am one egg cell fertilized one cell. Let me become many, a hundred trillion. And what is it out there in the universe that the Hubble telescope hasn't seen? Mm-hmm. I mean, what kind of life forms might be on other planets, other galaxies far away. What is involved in this oneness becoming many? What are the miracles? What are the wonders? Will we ever know? We think we know everything. Here we are on this planet. We have microscopes. We have telescopes. We're just so smart. We don't know a fraction of what's in our universe. But when you talk about... I am one, let me become many. That is also a process every human, every, actually every animal goes through. Exactly. Every living being goes through starting out as a, as a, a single fertilized egg. Yep. And, and within that single egg somehow is contained, uh, everything that's necessary to produce 200 different types of cells, each functioning differently, creating organs and tissues and each interacting with each other in, in some sort of a holistic fashion. I know that's led some people to believe that you, you can't explain it all in terms of RNA and DNA, that there, yeah. there must be something else. There must be. And, how do we measure it? How do we know? We just, there has to be something else. But it is by just sitting and contemplating for a few minutes that that one single fertilized egg cell has the ability to create all this other differentiation and activity and functionality and to do it well. I mean, there are times when there's some errors and um, and sometimes the death is involved early on with that, or there's some kind of disability where an organ isn't formed well. But the the uh, highest percentage of it is we all come out with legs, arms, eyes, ears, noses, all of that. Mm-hmm. It is a miracle. Mm-hmm. Every single birth is one, and that other aspect of what's their past the 
information that's in one single cell that helps differentiate to all of this. I've held a brand new baby, a grandchild, right after being born and looked in the eyes. And it's just like looking into heaven. It's like they haven't lost the connection with the all that is. And it's one of the magnificent parts of being a grandma or being able to actually hold a a baby that's fairly newborn. Like just looking there like, whoa, that expanded consciousness is speaking to us. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems from the discussion that it's almost as if it's pushing me towards a, a thinking dualistically, like there's this magnificent <laughs> body with all of the uh, in, incredible information and, and wisdom just mm-hmm. embedded in it, almost at a non-conscious level. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's consciousness, mm-hmm. somehow separate, the soul. I mean, in, in your book, you talk about the bridge from soul bridge. to cell. Mm-hmm. H- how do you would describe that bridge. Do you think it's like the ghost in the machine? or <laughs> do, you, do you have an image of how that works? Well, that's an interesting question because I published that book some years back. My own journey and experience has been from duality more and more to oneness. Mm-hmm. Can we really separate these? I'm not sure I would title that book Bridge anymore uh-huh. or From Soul to Cell. Like the, the the continuing experience, Jeffrey, is that it's all one. Mm-hmm. And the I'm one, let me become many. That's kind of a division of things. But the sense of oneness is in every one of the many. And so in all the cells within us, there's connection, communication, uh, a sense of belonging, not, oh, I'm, I'm a muscle cell over here doing this, and you're a nerve cell over there doing that. Don't talk to me. They're all connected with each other. So there's still areas I, I don't have any answers for, but the experience of minimizing duality, of letting the edges of duality dissolve, so that oneness is part of us, um, is, is very much where I'm at right now. Mm-hmm. And I see that play out in the healing work. I see it play out in helping people um, be well in their bodies. I see it play out in the focus of allowing a flow of energy for people that goes where it needs to go. Sometimes it's okay, I need to focus on the cells in your eye because you've got um, in that land, some cataract going, and I know that there's uh, proteins there that are not sliding across each other. They've cross-bonded, and so that's why that cataract is forming. Let's dissolve that. But then there's another level past that focus, which is useful to know about scientifically. There's another level past that where the oneness comes in, and that experience is just deep, profound Silence, beingness, connection, and and compassion and love, and out of that un- unfolds um, the process of healing. So we're talking many different dimensions, actually. And I love your question because it's like 
yeah, reflect on becoming at ease with oneness. That's a nice way to put it. At, <laughs> Thank at, you. at ease with with oneness. I I love that idea actually because I I think the best interviews that I do always come around to that issue of oneness. oneness. It seems to be the the fundamental mystical truth. Here I am, a hundred trillion cells, but I'm one being. Yeah. And I get the impression actually that one might say the same of humanity. We're seven eight billion individuals, but we're one humanity. Yes. Or in the universe, we've got, I don't know, 100 billion galaxies, but it's one universe. Yeah. Incredible. And and sometimes it's useful to think sort of top down. Maybe it's that oneness, which is uh, ultimately the... Um, the principle that organizes everything. And in these experiences that people call near-death experiences or transformative spiritual psychic experiences, I think we get an opportunity um, to expand into that, again, experience, not just a knowledge, but all levels, emotional, mental, so and physical, of the oneness. And it changes our lives. It changes the way we see each other. It changes the way we may work in the world. So that um, meditation can lead to that too. And meditation has become much more available, accessible, and not such weird stuff. Mm. Mindfulness meditation is taught in schools now, which is a wonderful thing. But there is a state of being, a state of consciousness for each of us, where we can expand without having to almost croak <laughs> into loss of duality into the union of oneness. Dr. Joyce Hawks, thank you for sharing this wisdom with me. You're so welcome. This has been a wonderful conversation, and I look forward to more while you're here in Albuquerque. Thank you. So do I. Thank you for being with me. And thank you for being with us. 